0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 we're back we've got back last week and so we're starting to roll again here through this uh, Pauline epistle that we've been going through uh, for a while now and, and we've made it to, to chapter 4 and so we're going to get back in it today and and this this book is is focused on ministry and how to be uh, better ministers for the Lord and so so that's what we're learning about and as we get started Um, I do have some bad news for you today. Um, So I'm just going to get that out of the way now. Um, The bad news is I'm not going to be singing today. I know. I know. I knew you guys would be disappointed. Listen, I've accepted the fact that I'm a one-hit wonder. So I'm just going (laughs) to... Now, so that being said, you know, I, I, I I have heard... I have ways of hearing, and I've heard that um, there's been some nefarious actions taking place with respect to my singing last week, and there's like ringtones have been made and, <laughs> and whatnot, and not looking this way on purpose, I don't even know if the perpetrators are here, but um, we'll just say I know who you are. Um, and, and I'll tell you, it's like, I, I used to always tell my kids, Jennifer and I, we'd always tell our kids, listen, you know, there's going to be plenty of times you're not around us and you'd behave yourselves a certain way. And if you do things, um, you know, that aren't pleasing to the Lord, that you shouldn't be doing, just know that God will get us the information. <laughs> we will find out. It's just, I believe that. I, I mean, I mean it. God's gonna, God's gonna get us the information we need to get. And God got me some information this week, so... Listen, Josh isn't here, he was going to try to surprise me at our, I've learned, I've learned the whole plot, like at our, at our staff meeting this week, and so you can ask Josh how that goes next, next, he's not here, we'll see if he listens to this before our meeting or not, uh, but you can ask him how that went uh, next Sunday. Uh, but anyway, um, I, I'm not going to sing, but we do have, uh, you know, we do have the Bible to look at this morning, so that's that's better anyway. Um, last, last week we kicked off, off this chapter by talking and singing about getting the new look uh, from the old book, or just allowing our time with the Lord and His Word, our time in that, that looking glass out of 2 Corinthians 3.18 to change us more and more into the image of Christ. So that the more of the word that gets in us, the more of the word, the, the, the Jesus, uh, can shine forth from us. And we really focused on seeing that as our ministry as Paul started that chapter. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. And, and, and seeing our life as being an outflow of who we are in Christ not living in different silos and having our home life and our work life and our church life, but being transparent through all of it, living openly before men and in the sight of God, having strength in our devotion to God, being sincere in our demonstration of Christ's life, and then being selfless in our need for distinction along the way. And that leads right into our our text this morning, because when you see all that, when you see your life as ministry and you live your life that way, as a ministry for the Lord, then, then listen, what's going to happen is God's going to use you. There's just no doubt about that. And his power will, power will be on display in and through you. Now, again, he can't do that. He won't do that if you quit or if you're hiding sin or if, if you want credit. For what he's doing, those were verses 1 through 5. If you want any of that, he can't use you. He won't use you. But if you get verses 1 through 5 right, man, buckle up. Buckle up. I'm telling you, God wants to take you on a ride that you'll never forget. But here's the thing about this ride. This ride is all upside down. That's why I've I've titled this message The Paradoxical Path of Power. Because the victorious Christian life It's paradoxical. It's living out a series of paradoxes. And for those like me who who don't always know know, what big words mean, um, a paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained is is proved to be well-founded or even true. So an example of a a paradox, a paradoxical statement, is if, if there's one thing I know, it's I know nothing at all right? You know, you've said that before. Or, or a biblical one, a biblical paradox is be the first shall be last. Um, you know, and uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not, listen, I, I was, I'm not even going to do it. I was going to give another one an example, of the Browns. The Browns won this week. So I'm going I'm to leave it, listen, I'm going to leave it, I'm going to leave it alone. So the Browns are their own series of paradoxes <laughs> in a number of, in a number of ways. Um, I mean, you look at their roster, they ought to be pretty good. But for, anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about it. Um, but listen, when it comes to our natural way of thinking, uh, living the Christian life the way the Bible tells us to, man, it's, 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 it's a series of paradoxes. I mean, go tell your lost friends some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. <laughs> to them, it very well might sound Absurd. But when we study the Word of God, and as the Holy Spirit teaches us His Word, we know it to be true. So with all that said, our our theme for this morning is this. When it comes to our Christian life, the way up is down. And I'm going to prove to you today, out of the Word of God, that 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 statement is true. And we're going to see that it's true through this path that the text takes us through, relating to how God's power can be displayed In and through us. So let's look at it together, then we'll we'll break it down for you piece by piece. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're looking at verses 6 through 12 this morning. So Paul writes For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. For we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Let's pray, and let's, let's ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we do love you. We're so grateful uh, for all that you are. We're so grateful that you sent your Son uh, to die for us. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for the time we have together this morning. I thank you for everybody that's here, uh, and everybody that's, that's watching. And, and Lord, I pray that your Word will do the work that only it can do in each and every one of our lives. And Lord, your Holy Spirit will do his work to convince and convict, and the Lord, in all of it, you will be glorified. I, I, I do pray that everything is said is true to your word, and, and Lord, again, that you're honored in it, that you're glorified, and Lord, use it to change us, mold us more and more into your image as, as we uh, continue to look into your word to see uh, how we need to be more like you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we have three main points this morning, and as we walk down this path to seeing God's power displayed in our lives. And and that power is specifically discussed in verse 7, but it's it's a theme kind of throughout the text. And this path is progressive. So it it goes step by step, and and you have to get them in order. And you have to get them all, at least if you really want God's power on, on full display in your life. Because, I mean, listen, this is one of the crazy things about God. He allows himself to be limited in you and in me. I mean, he's God. He's the creator of the universe. But he wants us to be committed to his cause. And when we're not, he allows us to sit it out. But here's the thing about that. When we sit it out, he goes to the sideline with us. And it's crazy. And it's sad. But I know that's not you. I know you want to see God's power working in your life. So I'm going to tell you how to do it. And the first step down in this paradoxical path is God's power is seen in your deliverance. God's power is seen in your deliverance. And what I mean by that is God's power in your life starts at the moment you get saved. The power that you have for him starts in the moment you get saved. In the very moment that you move out of darkness and into light. Look at verse 6 again. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And at least to me, this is very interesting. Because in this verse, Paul compares the conversion of a sinner to the entrance of light at the dawn of creation. He hearkens back to Genesis chapter 1. So let's step that back there for a second because, because we know, I think we have Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. We know this, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? This is, this is how our, our Bible starts, in the beginning. Now we also know from Isaiah 45.18, he tells us that his creation, it was, it was created not in vain, or void, and he formed it to be inhabited, all right? So Genesis 1-1, he, he has his, his creation, he creates the universe, it was created not in vain, it was created to be inhabited, and so it was as it was originally created, it was absolutely perfect, but the second verse of Genesis tells us that something happened, right? We have Genesis 1-2, it says, and the earth was without form and void. So not the way, the original intention of creation that we saw from Isaiah 45, 18. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. So something happened. Something happened to this first creation between verses 1 and 2. There was a fall. There was some great catastrophe that happened. And so we have the condition depicted in the second verse. And we're not going to take the time to explain what all happened there, but just know that something happened. So therefore, God began to work again. And in doing so, he displayed his power in creation again. And at the end of verse 2, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And so he works again. And I want you to notice two things. And this is in your outline sheet. I want you to notice two things about the, the keys to creation. Is First of all, the Spirit of God moved. And then God spoke. All right, so those are two things that you need to keep in mind. Now, after this, this creation, we know what happens sin comes in, he creates Adam and Eve, sin comes in, it messes everything up. Man is in darkness, he's lost, he's wretched. You know, but praise the Lord, God has a plan. And that plan involved redemption through the light of Christ. And as the gospel is preached, as God's word goes forth, the Spirit of God moves on the heart of a person. And if that person accepts that offer of of salvation in the gospel, the Bible tells us that they're saved by the word of God. And the Holy Spirit as light indwells them. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. And when that happens... The person becomes a new creation as well. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And the newness is that of light in place of darkness. It is God's power now on display in you. As you were delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians 1.13. That is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And that glory, as as, as 2 Corinthians 4.6 tells us, is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. And you see, Paul is giving you and he's giving all of us what he knows to be true. Because he saw that glory when he saw Christ on the road to Damascus. That story is found in in, in Acts chapter 9. He gives that testimony a couple different times. One of them is is in Acts 22. And in Acts 22, verses 9 through 11, he said, And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. You, You see what happened at Paul's conversion? There was... The, the entrance of light through the words that God spoke. There was light and God speaking. God moved and God speaks. It says, and they were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go to Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, the face of of Jesus Christ being led by the hand of them that were with me. I came to Damascus. And it blinded Paul for three days. The glory of the face of Jesus Christ. In Acts 26:13, he described it as above the brightness of the sun. That is the light that hath shined in our hearts. If you're a believer. All of the same power that God displayed in Genesis chapter 1 in creating this world is on display every single time someone gives their life to Christ. And when we talk about God's power being on display in you, it has to start there. That means if there has never been a time that you placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then God's power isn't in you. You can't show God's light to others because you do not have God's light. And I know it's popular to say that we are all God's children, but that's not a biblical proposition. But for those that are saved, those of you that have given your life to Christ... This aspect of displaying his power in your deliverance, this is why your testimony is the greatest witnessing tool you have in your evangelism tool belt. Your testimony is powerful because it is based in power. What did God do in you? Display that to others. Share that with that power of creation in you. Share what it can do in them and how God can deliver them too. And as we know, this is our, our great responsibility. And we talked about it at length last week. It's certainly a privilege as well, but it's a privilege and it's a responsibility. Sharing his light with others. Sharing with others his light that is in us so that brings us to our next step. So his power, that's where his power is displayed in in your conversion, in in this new creature, this new creation, through the glory of of the face of Jesus. How incredible this is. This happens in you. The same power that created this universe made new creatures of you and me. Listen, if that doesn't excite you just a little bit, then then I think something's wrong this morning. So it starts there. That power now is inside you. Okay, but then it keeps moving. It keeps moving. There's a, there's a step for that power to now be displayed. It, because we're going to get there, but the power's in you. But the power still has to be displayed. And it's displayed in this second path. So we get saved, and we see God's power in that deliverance. But then we have to move on. And so second, God's power after your salvation God's power is seen in your decrease. This is where we're seeing the paradox. We spent some time last week talking about selflessness and humility. And we looked at those words of John the Baptist in John 3:30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so God's power now, after we're saved, is displayed in our decrease. Paul carries this theme. into into these verses that we're looking at this morning. And it's our willingness to put aside our selfish desires and just be a vessel for him. So look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. All right, so let me explain this to you. The treasure of verse 7 is the light of verse 6. That light, of course, is Christ. It's, it's, it's the glory of the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians one twenty seven is more direct in describing this treasure. Uh, we looked at this verse a couple weeks ago, and we looked at some of the mysteries. But, but Colossians one twenty seven, it's worth looking at again. It says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the glory, all right? Now, Christ is in us. That's the treasure. His light is in us. And what a treasure that is. And then we know that that Christ is in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, the Holy Spirit is the treasure. They're they're one. In Romans 8, 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And then now look at how, how he transitions. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ... He is none of his. So we see God's power, Christ in us, in the form of the Holy Spirit, in the person of the Holy Spirit. So that's the treasure. Now, those earthen vessels, that's you and me. And more specifically, it's our bodies. So, congratulations. You're not the treasure, (laughs) you're the earthen vessel. And we know that Adam, that man, was was originally made out of the clay and the mud, the dust of the ground. Genesis two seven, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And then Genesis three nineteen, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. That, that that's our that's our bodies. All right, so our bodies are the vessel, and, and we don't have time, we're not going to take time to, to describe the differences in our body, soul, and our spirit, but we are just like God is, is, a, is a trinity, a Trinitarian being, so are we, all right? So we are, are three parts, but our body is the vessel, and our body, through, through Adam, through the original man, was created in dust, and it will return to dust. So that means man is earthen. And let's face it, the term earthen vessel isn't very complimentary. It's not that flattering. We didn't even use, you know, vase or vase or whatever. Like, you know, earthen vessel. Like, you know, you could have come up with something a little nicer. But okay, he doesn't. It's an earthen vessel. But the reason why is because there is nothing good in us until the treasure is in us. Now, I, I do want you to hear what I'm saying, and I, wa- I want you to understand it clearly, because the fact is, God made us. And according to Psalm 139, verse 14, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And how true that is, if you just think of the intricacies of the human body, how incredible it is what God did in, in making man. And, and yet, in the midst of all the amazing science of what is the human body... It's not good because it does not come with inherent righteousness. Not since Adam's sin, we've all inherited that sin nature. So our bodies do not come with inherent righteousness. We only gain that in Christ. So that means as wonderful as it is, as wonderful of a creation man is, our bodies are just plain old earthen vessels, especially as you compare us to the treasure. Because as intricate... And as amazing as the human body is, no comparison to what God is. No comparison. It's just a clay pot. It's just an earthen vessel. And it can be used for good or bad. Second Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21 talks about how there are vessels to honor and vessels to dishonor. All right, now, we're not even going to go there, we're not even going to take the time to get into all the details of what that means. But what you need to understand, what the one thing you do need to take from that is very simply, earthen vessels are created for a job, and they can either do that job successfully or unsuccessfully. And the job of the earthen vessel is twofold. The earthen vessel is meant to hold something, and it's meant to display something. Okay, so again, we're progressing. At the point God's power is shown in us in our salvation, in our deliverance, the treasure is put inside us and we're holding something. But for that power to be fully displayed, you've got to step down, right? And it's, it's seen in our decrease. I'm going, to ex- I'm going to explain this to you. So earthen vessels are meant to hold something and they're meant to display something. Those two distinctions are very important. I'm going to show you why. From two Old Testament stories of earthen vessels, I'm going to start with one. Maybe some of you have even already thought about it. The story of Gideon. You find the story of Gideon in Judges six through eight, and at, at, at that time in history, Israelites. I mean, obviously, you know, this is this is before the kings. This is after. Joshua, this is the time of Judges, where every man did that which is right in his own eyes. And God gave them leaders and judges, and it was was a a mess of a time. I mean, Judges, you know, not your most uplifting of books, um, you know, to read. But um, at this time, the Israelites are being oppressed by the Midianites. God raises up Gideon as their leader. There were some good judges along the way. Um, And so he raises up Gideon. And he takes Gideon through this whittling down process of his army, right? You guys know that story. And this is all before they go to fight the Midianites. And so he takes Gideon's army from 32,000 down to 300. I mean, that's who God wanted to use to fight for him. Talk about a paradox. Less is more in the eyes of God. And of course, Gideon isn't sure about all this, but God confirms it a couple times um, so Gideon moved forward in faith. And the night before the, the battle, uh, God gives Gideon confidence in a dream. And, and, and Gideon sets forth his plan for battle. And I want you to look at that plan because it pictures for us the use of earthen vessels. It's a, it's, it's a term that's used different, but it's the same, it's the same word in Hebrew. Um, in Judges chapter 7, starting in, in verse 15, the Bible says, and it was so. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, uh, that he, he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel, and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he di- and he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers. Okay, there's the earthen vessel. This is the clay pot, <laughs> with empty pitchers and lamps within pitchers, and he said unto them, Look on me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets, and brake the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all. And they cried the sword of the Lord of Gideon and they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled. All right, so there's a really, really cool picture here. I'm, uh, I hope some of you have seen it. God told them to take empty pitchers and put a light inside. All right. Here's the thing, so, 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 so uh, you, you, need, you need to track with me on this. When the, the light was inside, you couldn't see it. The picture had to be empty, the lamp went inside, but you couldn't see the light. They wouldn't have been able to sneak up on the Midianites if, if they could see the light. So it, these earthen vessels, these common clay, clay pots had lights inside them. Then during the darkness of the night, they were to circle the the Midian camp, and at the signal of the sound of the trumpet, they were to break the pitchers so that the lights would shine forth on every side, and then scream and shout and blow more trumpets. It's like this crazy plan. I mean, that's a a paradoxical plan. Are you kidding me? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to circle the camp, we're going to blow trumpets, we're going to break pitchers, and we're going to scream real loud. This is how we're going to win the war. (laughs) You know, it doesn't make sense. But when they did that, the Midian army was demoralized. And they suddenly saw light springing up all over the mountainside. And they were surrounded, and they they thought they were surrounded at least, and they were defeated. They didn't know it was only 300 men. And it was because, all because, God used empty pitchers to shine forth light. Okay, so remember that. That's story one. Now, there's a second Old Testament passage that, that, that's, that's going to take us another further, and it's going to give us some more insight, and it's in the book of Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is one of those books that you want to skip when you're doing your daily reading. I know. I Listen, I know. But you have to know there's great truth uh, in that book. In fact, it gives us some, some of the best insight into understanding the New Testament. And you might not believe me, but it's true. This book, as well as any, shows us how we are to relate to God as saved people. How we are to apply, practically apply, what Jesus Christ did for us all through the five offerings that God established for the nation of Israel. So you have the, the burn offering, the, the, the peace offering, the meat offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. There's five offerings he laid out. And they go through, in the book of Leviticus, it actually goes through those twice, and then it it, it, there's the offerings and then there's, it goes through the, the, the office, the, the, the priest, and then it goes through the place, the tabernacle. All how we relate to God. Leviticus is actually very interesting and a great book. So in, in Leviticus chapter 6, God is talking about the sin offering. And the sin offering is one that helps us personally know how to deal with our sin nature. So it's one of two offerings along with the trespass offering that that were non-sweet savor offerings to the Lord. It just means the smell wasn't pleasing to God because sin isn't pleasing to God. These two offerings were also obligatory, by the way. There was no option because, because sin must be dealt with and sin will be dealt with one way or the other. So with that background and context, let's look at this sin offering starting in verse 24 of Leviticus chapter 6. It says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest that offereth it for sin shall eat it. In the holy place shall it be eaten, in the court of the tabernacle of the congregation. Whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. And when there is sprinkled of the blood thereon upon any garment. And listen, there's so much good stuff in all this passage, but um, we're going to focus on one part at the end. When the, when the blood is sprinkled upon any garment, thou shalt wash that whereon it was sprinkled in the holy place. But look at verse 28. But the earthen vessel wherein it is sodden shall be broken. And if it be sodden in a brazen pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. So I want to draw your attention to there, that verse 28. God said if the blood from this offering comes in contact with an earthen vessel, That earthen vessel is to be broken. So for us, what happens when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to an earthen vessel? It is to be broken. And by the way, for all you Bible study students out there, pay attention to what happens to the brazen pot. And compare that to an earthen vessel. Cross-reference back 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 and see what you think about honorable vessels and dishonorable vessels, earth, earthen vessel versus a brass, a brazen uh, pot. But there's some, there's some good study in there and we don't have time to go through it. Um, but if, if you're interested, you should do it. So we're going to talk about this earthen vessels that are to be broken when they come in contact with the blood. Kind of like the pictures of Gideon's army were to be empty. Because they had to hold something, and they had to be broken in order to display something for God. And so, I've kind of already spilled the punchline there, but let me tie this together for you. Again, earthen vessels, twofold purpose. Hold something, display something. And here's the thing. When you get saved, you have to empty yourself so that you can hold the treasure of the light of Christ in you. So when you get saved, that power is displayed. And God's treasure enters you. But that's only the first part. There's there's two jobs of an earthen vessel. So when you invite the Holy Spirit to come inside you, you have to make place. You have to make space. But it's not all. Because in order for you to fully then fulfill the second role of displaying your Savior... You also have to be broken. Or to say it another way, you have to decrease. When the blood is applied, the command and therefore the expectation is a broken vessel. You see, there have to be cracks in you so that his light can shine forth. And then everyone will know that the excellency of the power emanating from you is actually him and not you. Because you're just, not only are you an earthen vessel, you're an earthen vessel with cracks and chips and dents, a broken vessel. So listen, friend, there are a lot of you, there are a lot of Christians out there that are saved. And you have the treasure inside you. But the truth is, no one can see it. And you might be super talented. You might have all sorts of abilities. You might even think that because of all that, we ought to be using you more. Can I tell you, none of that matters. Do you know what matters? What matters is whether you have been broken or not. God does not need your talent and ability. He has plenty on his own. God needs your brokenness. Psalm 51 verse 17 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. How many times do you hear Christians say, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be so amazing if so and so became a Christian? Boy, he could really be a spokesman for Christ. Or wouldn't it be awesome if this famous person or this popular individual or Kanye West, wouldn't it be great if those people became Christians? And what an impact they could have. And, and of course, all of that is true. But God just keeps ignoring them and picking up pl- clay pots. In order that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's the same sentiment Paul had when he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 31. But God has chosen the foolish things of the, of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised, yea, God hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Listen, if you want to see God's power displayed in your life, you have to decrease. You have to be willing to be a broken earthen vessel. That's it. Listen, that's good news. That describes a lot of us. But when you get there, when you're broken and contrite before the Lord, all of a sudden, verses 8 and 9 make sense to you. For we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. Also, some of you read verses 8 and 9 and you're dumbfounded. You think, how can Paul say that? I mean, seriously, how is that even possible? How can you be troubled on every side and not distressed? How can you be perplexed and not in despair? How can you be persecuted and not feel forsaken? How can you be cast down and not destroyed? This is how. It's possible through brokenness. And it's actually only possible through decrease. And here is the essence of true spiritual usefulness. It's being humble. It's seeing yourself for for who and what you really are. According to 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it, it takes the weakness in order to have the strength. It's a paradox. And then in that weakness, You know that you just have to give in and surrender to the Lord. You're troubled, you're perplexed, you're persecuted, you're cast down, but it's okay. And you chalk it up to John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Be troubled. You're going to be troubled, but don't be distressed. Have good cheer. Know the vessel, know the treasure that's inside you. That treasure's overcome the world. So you can still have peace in tribulation. You can still be not distressed in your trouble. But you see, that's exactly what we do not like. We want to see the power of God in our lives, but we want it to come in untroubled, peaceful, and calm circumstances. We want to move through life protected from all the dangers and the difficulties. We want our lives to be Disney World rides. That's what we want. Let me explain that to you. If you've been to Disney World, you've probably ridden, like for example, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, right? Some of you have ridden, you've been there and you've ridden the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, right? When that ride, you face all sorts of treachery. (laughs) There are pirates and cannons going off and all sorts of stuff happening. You got to be on the lookout for Jack Sparrow. He's going to come infiltrate your boat. And he's, you know, he's a pirate. He's a a dirty pirate. What, you know, what in the world is going to happen? But it's a ride and there is actually no danger at all. You come out safely on the other end every single time. It's not even a roller coaster. I mean, you're just like cruising. through. It's not even a roller coaster. Your hair doesn't even get messed up. And that's what we want. We want to go through life in our little boats, gliding through all the difficulties, but not being touched by them. But that's not what God has in mind. We are to have difficulties and afflictions and persecutions. Actually, that's the point. Because that's when God's light shines the brightest. Listen, with each trouble, another crack forms, and more light comes out. Each time you're perplexed, that's another chip in the earthen vessel. Each persecution comes with more cracks. And then by the time you're cast down, no clay pot, no earthen vessel survives that without being fully broken. See how verses 8 and 9 tie to verse 7? But in that brokenness, you become more useful for the Lord than you've ever been in your life. It's a paradox. So if you want to see God's power power displayed through you, you have to decrease. But as tough as that is, it doesn't even stop there. Because there's still another step. And that's, that's point three. God's power ultimately is seen in your death. I mean, you, you can't get any lower than this. And I'm, I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about dying to your flesh. And like I said, you can't get any lower than this, but it is required for those who want the most power. You get to decide. You get to decide how far down this path you want to go. Many people just choose the power of deliverance. And so they get to hold the treasure, they just don't display it. But if you're willing to decrease and be humble, God's going to use you a little more. But if you're willing to die, this is the most power. God will use you more than you could ever imagine. Look at verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. As the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. As the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Okay, now, I mean, there is a lot. There's really a lot in this. Um, But we're going to skip over most of it. There's one main thing I need you to get. Out of, out of this section, and that's this. We talk all the time about Jesus. We talk about following Jesus. We talk about lis- listening to Jesus, doing what Jesus did, the, like the WWJD bracelet. That's not a thing anymore, right? Like, Listen, you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, you talk back to me. The WWJ, What would Jesus do? It used to be a thing. When I was younger, it ages me a little bit. I get it. That used to be a thing. Alright, but but you know, you know what I'm talking about there. So what, what would Jesus do? But the context of all that, listening to Jesus, following Jesus, doing what Jesus did, all those good desires is what Paul describes here as the life of Jesus. Right? We're looking at his life. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus live? I'm going to follow that. And we all want the life of Jesus. We all want to be like Jesus, and that's great. You should want that, but the only way to really get the life of Jesus is to consent to sharing in the dying of Jesus. We have to take up our cross. So when you say follow Jesus, you got to follow him to the cross. That's what Paul is saying here. You see, the cross is a symbol of something very real in our experience. I want you to think about this. What was Jesus like on the cross? He was not powerful and impressive and significant. He was not being applauded by the multitudes who listened to his every word. That wasn't happening. The cross was a place of physical weakness, of rejection by the proud and arrogant world around him, it was a place of obscurity. He had, he had two benefactors on each side, but he was on that middle cross by himself. It was a place where he was willing to lose everything and trust that his father would bring it back, make it significant. That is what the call of death to self looks like. Are you willing to give up all the things that make you look important, that make you feel important to other people. To take the place of obscurity, if necessary, trusting God to use it however he will. That's the dying of Jesus. Today we are being assaulted on every side by the cult of human rights. I deserve this and I deserve that. I want to be recognized and acknowledged. It's owed to me. I want to be known and I want to be affirmed. But the Christian gospel cuts right across all of that. That is the very thing that the cross says has to die. We have to come to an end of our dependence on ourselves and rest upon the willingness of God to be at work in us. Even if no one else acknowledges it or affirms it. Because the truth is, when God is at work in your life like that, he is at work to change your whole character until it is is like Jesus in the midst of rejection and lack of recognition. Are you willing to do that? Because if so, you get to have the life of Jesus. But here's where we struggle, isn't it? We want the power of God, but doggone it, we want a little bit of credit too. And if God does anything through us, we would kind of like somebody else to at least notice. And if anything happens in your midst or in your home or in your family, I mean, it would be kind of cool if somebody knew how much you prayed for that. If you helped someone along the way, I mean, you know, I'm the one that counseled them. We want to move in and we want to get credit. It's just, listen, I mean, every, every, message, is, every message is hard to preach. Because, like, when you stand in these shoes, you're, you're saying stuff out here that you know inside. You're like, <sighs> I mean, this one more than any. I mean, you know, I get beat up all week. But man, this is the truth. I mean, this is it. We want the life of Jesus, but we also want the satisfaction of our own flesh. Isn't it amazing how we want to be free from anxiety? No one wants anxiety. No one wants to be you know, just scared and nervous about what the future holds. We want a confidence about the future. But at the same time, we insist on the pleasure of worrying. We enjoy worrying. We feel so much more fulfilled if we've worried a little while, because we've at least done our part. You know, I, I've heard people say, if I don't worry, who will? As though somebody has to worry for something to get accomplished. But that's our problem, isn't it? We want the kingdom of God to reign in our hearts, but we want to feel what we feel too. We want our rights too. Listen, you just can't have it both. You get to decide how much power is displayed in you. God lets you choose how far down this path you want to go. It's up to you, it's up to me. There aren't easy choices, but they're the choices before us. You get to decide. You can't have it both you can't want all of God's power that all of that treasure that you're holding inside you it's all there ready to be displayed it's just there ready to burst out but you can't have it all burst out until you decide to go down this road you cannot get away from always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus as the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. How do you get His life manifest in your body through his dying? and therefore through your dying? At some point, you have to die to your flesh. Again, you, you don't have to. It's just how much power do you want to display? You're holding a treasure. How much do you want to display? And I recognize that our battle is, is different than Paul's battle that he, that he had when he, when he wrote these words. Paul faced literal, physical attack the persecution for the most part. None of us have, have gone through that, certainly not what Paul goes through. I, I, I think of this type of thing a lot. I wonder if any servant of Christ has ever endured more than the Apostle Paul. And I get it, there is physical persecution, literal, physical abuse going on to Christians even today in parts of the world. Um, but, man, the, the stuff that, I, I, you know, all, all, I, all I know to see of the Bible is um, I, I don't know anybody else that shine brighter than the Apostle Paul. Yep. I mean, maybe, but that's a, that's a bright light, man. 27 New Testament books, he wrote 13 of them, maybe 14 if you, depending on what you think of the book of Hebrews. That's that's pretty bright light. And so I don't know if anybody faced what Paul faced and it was as broken as, as Paul was broken. I don't know. I mean, he, he wrote things like in Galatians 6, 17, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And that was not hyperbole. <laughs> he meant it quite literally. But he gloried in all of it because as he suffered for Jesus' sake, the life of Jesus was being manifest in his moral body in a physical way. And men could look at him and say, literally say, I see Christ's life in you. I mean, very literally. But for us, for the most part, we don't have that. I mean, we've not received 40 stripes save one, 195 whips across our backs. We we don't have those types of scars for the Lord. And listen, I mean, praise the Lord. I, I, I mean it. I mean, praise the Lord, we don't. Because at the end of the day, so that's what took Paul there. Okay, so you might have to get there a different way. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you get there. It just matters that you get there. That's what matters. And once you're there, stay there. Because this death to self thing isn't a one and done. Paul says you have to get up every morning and decide again. First Corinthians fifteen thirty one. I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. So we, we know this. You know this just as well as I do. It's a daily battle. It's why you need to spend time with the Lord every day. I mean, there are no shortcuts to that. Luke, 23 verses, Luke 9, verses 23 and 24. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, following Jesus includes the cross. Take up his cross daily. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. That's that it sounds like a paradox. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Amen. See, Christ made one ultimate sacrifice for the world on the cross. We have to decide daily to take up our cross. And I mean, again, you, that's, the, that's, that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing about God. You get to decide. How much light do you want to display? How much power do you want to come come forth? But again, you need to remember the reason. As you're going through and making those decisions and contemplating what life is about for you, remember the reason. We talked about this last week. The reason is your life isn't just about you. It's about others. Verse 12, Paul said, So then death worketh in us, but life for you. Man, I was willing to go through this. I was willing to accept the dying of Jesus so you could at least see the deliverance, so you could at least see God's power in that first step, so that life could be in you, so that you could have the treasure too. That's the reason. When you live this life, God's light is bright in you. The force is strong in this one. And people notice and people would be changed through your ministry, i.e., through your life. And that's another great paradox of the Christian life when you decide to die to your flesh and just let your life shine Christ without need of recognition, without need of acknowledgement. That is when people will recognize and acknowledge what God is doing in your life. But that's the point of all of it they'll recognize Him, they'll recognize that it's Him. That's verse 7. It's his power. Because there's no power in a dead man. And Jesus isn't dead in you. You just need to be dead in him. But be dead in him so that others can see. Listen, we're so good at selfishness, we can even make dying to our flesh a selfish act. That's crazy. Listen, this is how we live. But that's not how we should live. We need to think about others even as you're dying to yourself. Or or, uh, let me say this. Maybe you have never been able to do it. Maybe you've never been able to die yourself. Let Let me ask you this question if that's you. If you can't do it for yourself, will you do it for someone else? Is there someone in your life that needs Christ? If so, will you love them enough to die to yourself? so that they can see Christ in you, so that life can work in them too? You have the treasure. Don't you want them to have it too? You won't know if you don't try. Miss every shot you don't take. So you might as well take this path because it's the path that God uses to show his power in our lives. Like I said in the introduction this morning, when it comes to the Christian life, the way up is down. And this path is clearly a path down. It starts with your deliverance. It then progresses downward in your decrease. But it isn't fully realized until your death. And like I said, I'm obviously not talking about physical death. I'm talking about dying to your flesh and living in Christ. In Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ. And die is gain, because Christ is getting it, the glory. It's a paradox, as is much of the Christian life. And as we've seen this morning, assessing the power of God requires you accepting and embracing the paradoxes. The way up is down. You have to be empty to be full. You have to die in order to really live. So how are you doing in all that? When you look at your life in 2020, have you embraced the paradoxes and the contrast of life? Or have you allowed the distractions of the enemy this year get you off track? You know, I put a chart in your bulletin there that shows, not even all really, but, but the, the primary contrast in our passage. So on the left, you have darkness, earthen vessel, troubled, perplexed, persecuted, cast down, death. But all of those things are contrasted by by the right column, light, treasure, not distressed, not in despair, not forsaken, not destroyed, life. And ultimately, I think all those are wrapped up in the the contrast at the end of verse 7, that the power may be of God and not of us. Ultimately, the contrast in perspective is, is you versus him, it's me versus him. But as you consider your life this morning, and you study this this chart that shows all the contrast, all the back and forth in this passage, I want to ask you, which side of the chart better describes your life right now? So if you just look at the words, which side are you on? Just just look at the words. I mean, does, does darkness? Do you feel that? earth and vessel i mean that's you know that's not a, that's not a, a, a great one for this point but it's just the you you, you feel that in you do you feel troubled perplexed persecuted cast down do you 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 feel death or is it light and treasure not distressed not in despair not forsaken not destroyed you feel the life of christ which side, which column better describes your life? Because if you're living on the left side, maybe you're too focused on yourself. And, and, and I'll tell you, if you're living on the left side, the power of God isn't being displayed. I mean, anything you're doing for the Lord, you're likely doing in your flesh. So that's not bringing God glory. Your life isn't the ministry that God intended for it to be. But listen, if that's you... Don't be discouraged. Just get right. Get to the right side of the chart as you get right with the Lord. And if you do, you'll experience light and treasure and the satisfaction of not being distressed or in despair or forsaken or destroyed, no matter what you're going through. You'll experience life like never before. Because you'll be a conduit for his power. I mean, that was was Paul's full desire for his life. Philippians 3.10, and then we're done. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. But but how do you get there through the fellowship of his sufferings? Be made conformable unto his death. You can't skip that order. You can't get around it. I promise you, I've checked. I've tried. I've looked for shortcuts. Unfortunately, there aren't any. I mean, if you find one, let me know. I'm not holding my breath. There's one way up and it's down. We decide this morning to take those steps down so that God can be glorified in your life, so that his power can be on full display. Again, you get to decide how much. I hope, that, I hope that we all do that together for the glory of the Lord. And If we do, man, look out. Look out what God can do in you and in us as a church. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for, for your word and, and, and all that it shows us and how powerful it is, and Lord, as as tough as this was for me personally, Lord, I pray that that Your Holy Spirit used it not only like He did in my life, but in, in others' lives as well. And, and Lord, it's just true—we get to decide how much of Your power is displayed, how how broken we are, and how much light's going to shine forth. And so, Lord, I pray that you, Your Holy Spirit, even now, is is can, convicting those of us that need it, um, to get right with you and to get on the right side of that column so that we can live life uh, to your glory, uh, to to, to your honor, to your praise. And Lord, that we can make a difference in this world, not, not for our own credit, for you. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be those people. Help us to be that church. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.